0: Well, again, happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads out there. Um, when Brandon when Brandon said, "Hey, man, I need you to teach this Sunday," I, I uh, he kind of gave me a heads up on on my options as far as continuing this this uh, proclaimed series, this Luke series, um, or or I could do a standalone. And I, I took a look at. What he titled uh, this specific week, and I think it's on your talk notes, but you can judge a person's heart if you first judge your own. And no joke, the first part of, of my mind and heart said, "I don't want to teach that. I want to go away from that." Right? Um, just being able to talk to you today about judgment—it's um, just not an easy topic to to, to walk away from. And say, man, I feel really good about that. Um, I, I would make the argument that. Atheist, the loss. I think one of the words they have to describe you and I is hypocrite. I think it's a very common name that gets thrown, uh, thrown out when it comes to, to Christianity because we, we talk about loving and all that we do, but yet um, you also see aspects of Christianity just with a fiery tongue. You also see aspects of Christianity just filled with anger, frustration, over some of the choices that are being made uh, as you look at the world today. And so, (laughs) I prayed, and I was like, okay, there's so many things I think about when we talk about judgment. God, I don't know, it would be much easier just to teach a standalone. alone But he he continued to say, no, this this is what we're covering, we're going to continue this. And he, and he really walked me through some stuff. So I, what I want to do first is I want to dive through the passage. I want, I want to read the passage as a whole, right? Today we're going through Luke six thirty-seven through 45. So if you could bring that up right now in your Bibles, if you need a Bible, someone back there will get you a Bible. Just raise your hand we'll, we'll, we'll throw a Bible at you. Uh, but we're going to go through Luke chapter 6, 37 through 45. I want to read through it today and then we'll come back and start breaking down some verses. Okay, so here we go. Read this with me, if you will. Uh, Luke chapter 6, 37 through 45. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Okay, I have to stop. I already have to stop. I was supposed to read it. I had a struggle. I want to make sure I set this table right. Um, Right now, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, uh, people that his disciples brought, and anybody else who wanted to come in and hear Jesus speak. Okay? Um, and so I just want to make sure you understand that that's who jesus is talking to really he's talking to anybody and everybody But his disciples are like right here on the front. Okay, so here we go. All right, we'll do this. I got this here We go 37 judge not and you will not be judged condemn not and you will not be condemned Forgive and you will be forgiven give and it will be given to you Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Verse 39, he also, Jesus also, tells them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrites. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. As I was, as I read through this passage first, just to get ready in preparing for this lesson, um, the battle of judgment versus accountability has always happened and it will continue to happen. There are some in Christianity who say, hey, right here, judge not and you will not be judged. Therefore, you should not judge me. You should not tell me right and wrong. You should not tell me what I'm doing wrong. says it right there. So many that are against the concept do not. I think it's a battle between judgment and accountability. And we'll talk about really the difference between those. There was a, as I was looking at this, there was a, there's something that jumped at me. I, I haven't been on a plane since before covid Right? And I'd imagine many in, in the room are in the same boat. Uh, we got a chance as soon as school ended um, to go see my sister and her family up in Kansas City. And then we um, flew over to Colorado Springs. It was kind of like this triangle trip to see, we went to Colorado Springs to see Kelly's brother and his family. And then we flew back home. So I was on three different planes. And something happened that reminded me of this internal fight that I have with the airline industry. Okay? And some of you have a lot of fights with the airline industry. I have a dumb one, and I'm going to talk about it here. So, we're on this the first flight, and and the they're doing a great job. They're going through their spill. We're at Dallas Love Field, so we're on Southwest, and they're doing a great job, right? They're exits, and you know, if you're over water, flotation, everything's great, right? And like, yep, heard it. Practically an expert on this and then they get to the part that I have the fight with them that they don't know Internally, I have this fight with them and I fight them every time I'm on a plane But they don't know that they're in this fight. It's just kind of a one-way fight and so They get to the part where if your oxygen mask drops down and I know you're thinking like why would you have a fight? Put it on and make sure you breathe normal fine great, and then they say if you're traveling with your child Make sure you put yours on first before you put theirs on. Now, internally, I struggle with this. I'm like, no, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm putting my kids on first before I put mine on. I could be on an island with this. I might be on an island because there's not a lot of people like, I'm with you. Like some of you, right, nobody's nodding, right, which is fine. So I'm probably on an island, okay, that's fine. But this is my internal fight with the airline industry as a whole. Because if we were in a situation, I'm taking care of my kid first, I could be wrong. I could be. But this is a fight that I have. My perspective, my line of sight, if you will, looks at others first. And I'm not talking about just anybody. It looks at my kids first. And that's a no-brainer to me in my mind. That's a no-brainer. Now, I used a really kind of convenient analogy as we look to others, because I think we do, I think all of us inherently look at others before we look at ourselves, which as you can kind of pull away from this passage, you can kind of see where I'm going with this, but in the airline, I can feel good about looking at my child first before looking at myself. I think if I were to use a different analogy, it might put a little bit different taste in your mouth. Uh, what about, what about when you are, um, you know, you're driving um, 820, whatever, uh, and you're, it's 70 miles per hour, and you're going 80. You're in the middle lane, because you don't want to be suspicious in the left lane, but I'm in the middle lane driving 80 miles per hour, somebody drives past me going 85, maybe 90, right? And then about 15, 20 seconds later, lights are behind your car. Lights, there. you're like, are you, and in in your car, you say the things that you should not say, right? But in your car, nobody else is around, the cop hasn't pulled up to the door yet, and you've got a lot of choice words for this police officer before you actually stop your vehicle. You've got to be, are you serious? And you're thinking about how you're going to say it? Did you not see, and the couple's up, did you not see the guy? He was going like 115 miles per hour. Left lane, he just passed me. Blue Dodge, if you drive Blue Dodge, sorry. Blue Dodge, he was going. Right, we're so quick in that scenario again to look at others first. This is one of the reasons I love, I love working with teenagers because of this conversation right here. Because teenagers will often they'll get hit for like a dress code deal. Hey, dress code. Well, did you see Johnny? Where he was wearing? I was like, I have one question for you. Are you out of dress code? Yeah. Okay. So you're doing something wrong. Yeah. We tend to want to look at others first, both in the good and especially the uncomfortable. The bad. It's just kind of the way some of us have wired ourselves. It's it's not even, I guess in some pers- it's it's kind of like a, a selfish piece that we have, even though we're looking at others first. My fight with the airline industry uh, is probably the wrong one because they're probably right, right? Because the argument's been thrown back at me. This is, hey, if you pass out, you can't help your kids. Oh sure, now there's heads nodding like yeah, uh, yeah. So if you pass out, you can't help your kids. And in my small brain, I'm like. No, I won't pass out. I'll help them first. I got this. We tend to look at others first. And I think for many of us, it is a struggle more than we know. I'm going to, I asked my wife's permission to use this story. Uh, I'm going to to basically lump all of you into two groups. Okay? This is unfair, but I'm going to. But all of you into two groups, okay? Uh, group A Uh, And this deals with laundry. Group A, uh, once the clothes dry, they're done with the dryer, beep, you grab the clothes out of the dryer, maybe you grab them all at once, or maybe you just pull them out and you start hanging them up, folding them right there. That's group A, right? And your clothes are nice and neat, and you, I don't know, maybe you put them up, or maybe you hang them in the laundry, whatever. But you take them out of the dryer, and they're ready to go. Group A, Okay. (laughs) I'm sorry if I cause division amongst husbands and wives today, but this is, this, is, this is something that has happened in my household this week. All right, so that's group A, right? And they're, they're just so organized. It's so great. The clothes just, it's great. It's the way it should be. And I'm not saying group A better than, is better than group B, but group A. All right, then you got group B. Group B. Group B buys extra laundry baskets for this very reason. Clothes are done in the dryer. Yes, I have hand raised. Amen. Awesome. They take the clothes out of the dryer, uh, and and then they start a nice little mountain, nice little collection, if you will, right? And And basically, our little special collection place is in our room. Is in Kelly's in my room, right up against this wall that has so much space. It's, it's like perfect. It's like it was built for this. Okay, so my beautiful bride will will take baskets and laundry's done, and laundry's done is what she will tell you, uh, and it's in the basket, and then it just it just keeps going like it like. Okay, we're at three or four baskets now. We don't have any room. I just keep stacking them. We can do a pyramid. This is fine, right? So this is group B. This is group B. You guys determine who's in what group. But the two groups clashed a little bit this week. Okay? So <laughs> we, we are we're in the house. Um, I could talk about another grouping later. It's very incriminating to me, so I'll just be quick with it. There's two groups in another situation. Those of you who take your shoes off and you don't know where you put them. Uh, and then the other group that has a specific place for their shoes, right? Yeah, okay. So I'm kind of the opposite. I'm not in group A on this one, or I'm not in the organized group in this one. I took my shoes off, and I asked my beautiful bride, hey, have you seen my shoes? Because it's one of the 37 places that I put it, but I don't remember which one I put, where I put them, okay? And my my wife, she's down. She's in a basket. She's got one of her her, her baskets. She's, she's digging in the mountain, okay? She's there. She's got, she's elbow deep in clothes. And she's trying to find one piece of clothing. That's what she's trying to find, one piece. And I'm like, hey, do you know where my shoe's at? And she looks at me with a little bit of fierceness and says, do I look like I can keep up with your stuff? Very, very quickly, right? Like she was ready to go. She's a little fired up. And she looks at me. Completely judging me because i've lost my shoes as she tries to find one article of clothing and in the reverse manner I can't find my shoes and i've judged my wife. We're both in this boat together different groups similar boat Some of you have looked over at your spouse several times during this conversation And there's judgment in your eyes. I promise you The fact is we're really good at looking at other people first Some of us have gotten comfortable with it. And so I'm I'm trying to set the table for what Jesus is talking about in this. Because I'm not trying to fix the laundry situation in your house. I'm not trying to fix the shoe situation. I'm not trying to fix these situations. I believe there's a paradigm shift in the way that we view one another. That needs to happen. And I believe that Jesus... Modeled this perfectly and we'll unpack some of these so i'm going to go back through these verses real quick uh, And we'll we'll dive into some You know notes on your talk notes and, and stuff like that So here we go to, to go back into this just a little bit deeper verse 37 judge not you will not be judged condemn not and You will not be condemned Forgive and you will be forgiven Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. I think it's very fitting that this part of the passage starts off with two don'ts, followed by two do's. And really, you could just sum this up right here and leave this passage, if you wanted to. Don't judge. Don't condemn. Forgive and give don't judge don't condemn what you need to do is forgive and give some of us right now could look at areas of our lives and say okay where where does that fit where am i struggling where am i looking at others and believe me there's a plethora of choices in the world today to see where we are judging condemning where we're not forgiving and giving It reminds me, uh, there's a a verse, Matthew 18, and and Alan, it's not going to be on the screen for you, but Matthew 18, 21 through 22, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Like, Peter's like a little frustrated with this, it seems like, like, how many times is somebody supposed to mess up and I'm supposed to forgive them? And then he comes up with this astronomical number, like seven times? Like in Peter's mind he's like are we serious seven times and Jesus responds back with this Jesus said to him I do not say to you seven times And Peter's like okay good we're going to find a good number here this is going to be good. but 77 times See Peter just like us there are paradigm shifts that need to happen in our lives there are there are huge boulders of ideas a philosophy, a theology, whatever you want to call it, that need to be moved. Because when we hear that we're supposed to forgive someone, not seven times, but 77, our, our minds struggle a little bit with that. I, I do. I've looked at my own kids, I'm like, hey, how many times are we going to keep doing the same thing? Understanding the whole time, I'm sure my Heavenly Father is looking at me saying, hey, how many times are we going to do the same thing? It's, it's interesting, as I work with teenagers a lot, we did a survey last year, we did a theme that was based on uh, relationships, and, and we did a survey, and, and to me, this was so profound, I did not see it coming, uh, but one of the biggest struggles that teenagers face when it comes to relationships, and this is what this small group of students said, was that I don't know when I'm supposed to end a relationship and still show the love of Jesus. Like that was their like I wanna I want to show the love of Jesus I, I'm with you. But how do I separate myself from a relationship that is harmful but still show the love of Jesus? And it's such a it's a great question. It's a great question. And again I said this earlier. Part of the argument that Christianity has is that we shouldn't judge. And so a lot of these teenagers are like well I just I'm not supposed to. I'm not supposed to correct them, even if what they're doing is harmful for me. That's a, that is a mentality that a, a lot of my students have. And I think our, our rebuttal to that, or something in Scripture that kind of speaks against that, and, and th- Alan, this will be up there, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So judgment versus accountability. I think one of the things that, as we look at what accountability really has, what it really holds, I think there's some... There's some tools in the tool belt. There's some things that we need. There's those huge boulders I talked about needed to be moved. That we have to be able to see humanity through these, through these lenses that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you. And this is in your talk notes. Your first one. Humility is a vital part of accountability. Humility is a vital part of accountability. Without it, our hearts, minds, and tongues play a piercing role to those around us. Without humility, our hearts, our minds, our tongues play a piercing role to those around us. We see, I, I talked about earlier, that Jesus models this. Uh, and there's some, there's some examples. Uh, for me, the, the parable of the prodigal son is a huge one with this. Right? Uh, long story short, the, the son takes his inheritance, says, hey, I'm ready now. I know you haven't passed, but I, I'd, re- I'd like my half now. He's got a brother. I'd like my half now goes and lives a life, spends it all, spoils it all, gets to a point where he, the food that he's feeding pigs, because he gets this little, little part-time job, if you will, taking care of animals, looks enticing. And so he, in his mind, he says, Okay, I'm broken. I'm lost. I've spent my inheritance. It would be better if I go back to my father and be one of his workers. The lowest one on the totem pole, fine. I'd be better off. So he has the conversation in his mind on his way back to his father. And there's this humility that he is now portraying that he did not portray before. In his heart, in his mind, he's, Dad, I have messed up completely. I, I, I don't expect you just to take me back as is. I, I want to be one of your workers. I'll start from the very bottom. There's this humility that he has. I believe that humility is vital. Another story I, I often go to when I teach, because for whatever reason, as I'm looking at my notes, this aspects of this story just continue to come up, but the woman caught in adultery. Jesus says, fine, fine. She's guilty, she's committed adultery. You without sin can throw the first stone. So Jesus isn't coming in. Saying that she's not wrong. Jesus is coming in saying, All of us have logs in our stinking eyes. Those of you who don't have the log in your eye, throw the first stone. Those of you without sin, throw the first stone. So he provides this example of this humility, this understanding, this not a condemnation, not a judgment, although he does look at her afterwards and say, Leave this sin. I think we understand what judgment is saying here, what the word judge actually means here. I think today in society, we take the word judgment and say, you should not tell me what I'm doing is wrong. And I don't, I don't think that's accurate. I think, I think I would not be in the emotional, mental, physical place I am today if, it, if I did not have people holding me accountable. And there were tough moments in that. And there continue to be tough moments in that. We continue on with the passage. Verse 39. He also told them a parable. So now Jesus is telling them a parable. And this is a very fitting time. This is where, this is in the heart of Jesus teaching what it means to be a Christ follower. What it means to be born again. So he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit. And the heart here today, as I unpack this note, is not to offend, but while, while there are blind people who have a keen sense of direction and typically have a better understanding of their senses than all of us, there are such tasks that I would imagine they wouldn't take on uh, being a commercial airline pilot, guide, being a guide, uh, wilderness guide. I'm not saying they couldn't do it, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm saying it's not probable. What would happen? And I think we fall into a very similar boat. I think we, at times, in an unrighteous state, try to lead other unrighteous people towards righteous waters. I'm going to say that again. I think we, at times, in an unrighteous place, try to lead unrighteous people to righteous waters. It it is the log and the speck. There's a danger in this. It's the reason Jesus said, fine, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. There's work to be done in our hearts before you cast that stone. We cannot be in a place where we're unrighteous, trying to lead the unrighteous to righteousness. There are things in our hearts that we have to correct, that we have to mend, that we have to hand over to the Holy Spirit. Because whether whether you know this or not, every one of you are ministry leaders. Everyone in the room. I don't care what your job is. Every one of you are to make disciples of the nations. Every one of us are to teach the good news. Or to walk with one another through God's word. So it's vital that our hearts are aligned with his as we continue that ministry that God has given us. But for us, that's tough. It's tough to me to look at my wife uh, as she's digging through laundry and say, don't judge me on my shoes. Look at you. Like it's, t- it's tough for me to hold that back is what I'm saying. I mean, that's an easy just get you back moment. It's hard for me to look at myself and say, wait a second, can you really, can you really throw that rock it's so one of the things that I think all of us in the room struggle with is that our pride gets in the way. It's one of our biggest blinders. Can the blind lead the blind? I think for many of us, our pride makes us blind, and we're trying to lead others that are blind. Surely we'll fall into a pit. And that leads us to the next talk note. Awareness and vulnerability have to be a foundational part of who you are, of who we are. Awareness and vulnerability have to be a foundational part of who we are. Think about your strongest relationship that you have. I would imagine that awareness, humility, vulnerability are a key part of them. The real you, the real heart, being seen by that person, I think it's part of the reason you have the relationship that you have. That same concept, that same idea, that same understanding is how we should walk with Jesus, if we see ourselves as excellent guides, if we see ourselves as excellent gu- guides, but do not realize our blindness, we will only lead people into the ditch. Not meaning to, not meaning to. I, I think most of the time that the lost or or, athe- or whatever it might be, call us hypocrites, it's not because we intend to look like hypocrites. Moving on, verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. What a great message for parents in the room today, but also what a scary message for parents in the room today. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. As I equip... As Kelly and I equip our daughters, are there shortcomings happening because of our shortcomings? Is their view of Jesus, is their view of worship, is their view of the Holy Spirit, is their view of our Father minimalized because we minimized it? Because we minimized it. But in the same fashion, as our kids get to see how much we love our Savior, they get to see the authentic heart behind our view of our Creator. It's the very reason our student-age kids worship in here. Sons and daughters need to be able to look up and see their moms and dads in worship. Sons and daughters need to be able to see their moms and dads in prayer. In a reliance on who God is, what His truths are, what His promises are. Moving on, 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. There's that word. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. It's in this moment where I realize, Okay, maybe the oxygen mask has a point. Maybe the airline industry has a point. Could you imagine... Someone, a surgeon, is about to perform a surgery on you. You got you got got something in your eye, and it's like in there. It's in there. It's not coming out. You've tried, and you got this doctor, optometrist, surgeon, whatever that is. That is ready. Okay, this is going to be an in-out procedure. We're going to get you out of here. Okay. And as they bend over to get a real close look, they got the cool glass on one eye we all know why they don't have glass on the other eye right they got a glass in one eye and they're trying to see and as they bend down and look to you this huge log is mere inches from your face just just the actual image of that think about that for a second (laughs) how many of us are getting out of the chair how many of us like oh hey thanks but no thanks i have a speck you've got a piece of firewood hanging out of your face how often do we do this i don't i don't i don't i don't care to get into the world of politics but how often do we do this where just because you're on one side or the other we're ready we're ready to send rocks And if you have not noticed, more and more things are happening daily to fuel the fire of divisiveness. We, as believers, cannot wonder why the lost call us hypocrites if we are a part of the firing squad. There's a complete change that has to happen with how we view humanity. whether we're in agreement or not. Christianity is often criticized for its hypocrisy, and it's not because the truths that Christianity is teaching. It's because our sins are exposed for the world to see at the same time that we're calling out the sins of others. And it leads us to our last talk note. Uh, a clear line of sight only allows us to guide and assist with accuracy and gentleness. A clear, I have to really preface that word, a clear line of sight only allows us to guide and assist with accuracy and gentleness. We must be able to see clearly enough to help our brother see better. And that's what it becomes about. Helping our brother, to see better. Not about outing their wrongdoings. We finish this passage up with 43 through 45. For no good tree, and I think this is part of the reason, right? This is part of the image. If I could give you an image of of, of how humanity or how the lost or how atheism views Christianity, I think part of this is in play. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This is, a, this is a, a phrase I often heard from my wife and, and her family as I was coming out of the Marine Corps. It was a very, the Marine Corps was for me. I think we all have, what's the toughest season in your life? For right now, at this point, the Marine Corps was the toughest season of my life. And I probably heard, hey, and I, at the time I mocked it. I really did. I'm sorry, babe. Um, but what comes from the mouth comes from the heart. That's all she would say. Like she wouldn't say, "Hey, don't say this." She'd look at me and she'd say, "Hey, just so you know, what comes from the mouth comes from the heart." Because in that season, there were there were things that I followed that were of this world, and as they would come out of my mouth or they'd come out of my attitude or whatever it might be, there she is. Just saying. What comes out of the mouth, comes from the heart. And because of my pride, I wanted to look at myself and say, "Really, does it? Does it?" I mean, I work—I work with students. I—I I, I, I try to help them, you know, in the road of life that they're on. And my wife is more knowledgeable than me. Is like, I'm just saying. Comes from the mouth, comes from the heart. It's one of the facts about Christianity that kind of scares me a little bit. And I was this person. And I'm I'm sure there's times where I delve back into this person, but one of the facts that Christianity scares me is the person who's really quick and eager to help others. I'm going to say this. Hear me on this. Really quick and eager to help others because it covers up the reality of their own sin. I can feel good about helping others without really having to look at myself. Until the moment comes out where my true self speaks and I have accountability there, saying, hey, what comes from the mouth comes from the heart. Like, this is what we're producing. This is what you are producing. The words that you're speaking, that is the fruit that you are producing. And the fear is, the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruits. The depths of our hearts have to be born again. There's a book uh, that I, I was looking at, You Are What You Love by James Smith. Um, and there's this little piece. I just, I'm going to close actually with this um, because I think it's so fitting, again, for that line of sight, for the way we view humanity, the way we view others, the way we view life. It says this, Jesus doesn't encounter Matthew and John, or you and me, for that matter, and ask, what do you know? Jesus doesn't stand before us and say, hey, talk to me about what you know. Christianity often chases after that. Jesus does not look at us and say, tell me about what you know. He doesn't even ask, what do you believe? He asked this question. What do you want? This is the most incisive, piercing question Jesus can ask of us precisely because we are what we want. Our wants and longings and desires are the core of our identity, the wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow. Our wants reverberate from our heart, the epicenter of the human person. Thus, Scripture counsels, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Proverbs 4:23 Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You can judge a person's heart if you first judge your own. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we're left right now with the ability, the boldness to take a step back and look at our hearts. We're so quick, it's so easy to look at others. It's so easy to look at the ideas, the philosophy, the theology of others and critique, to have an opinion on, to throw it up on social media, to to talk to others about it. And God, my fear is that we're having these thoughts, these conversations without a reverence for you, without a reverence of your word, without a desire to guard not only our hearts, but the hearts around us, the hearts that we speak of. Satan continues, Father, Satan continues to divide us. almost like he's getting better at it. Father, and we're so quick to latch on and go for that ride. Father, I pray that we would be a people that would walk in humility, fighting that temptation. I pray that we'd be a people who would walk in awareness, in vulnerability, with a clear line of sight, That we wouldn't be a people that are quick to judge. That are quick to condemn. I pray that we are a people who forgive and then give. And I love that you put those two together. That we'd be a people who would forgive first. And then we'd be a people who would give. I don't believe you're talking about finances I don't even necessarily believe you're talking about time. I believe, Father, there in that moment that we would forgive and then we would pour into your children. We would help equip. We would give. We would empower. We would teach. We would teach. We would love. We'd wrap our arms around. Because these are the things that you did with us that you do with us Father we love you and i pray that you make this passage come to life this week that we'd see it we'd see your workings we'd see this in our life we'd see the way that that, that Jesus handles that Jesus teaches to walk in love Father, we love you. We do this in your son's beautiful and holy name. And all God's people said, amen. You guys are dismissed. Hope you have an awesome, cool week. See you guys later.